Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance, has already changed institutional real estate practices over the last couple of decades. But what should we expect and how should we approach ESG in this time of COVID-19 and beyond? I've asked Amanda Davis, the Thought Leadership Content Manager, and Sarah Enzinger, the Senior Vice President of Capital Markets at Measurable, to speak with me today and help answer those questions. So I want to thank both of you for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you so much, Gunnar, for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Amanda, uh, you made a persuasive argument in your article uh, in this summer's AFIRE Summit Journal that you called Time to Digitize ESG that ESG will only accelerate in this time of COVID-19. Can you explain a bit why that is the case? Absolutely, Gunnar. So um, I think I referenced in my article that between January and April alone of this year, um, investors poured a record $12.2 billion of funds into strong ESG practices. Now, why is that? Based on my research, I would say that ESG has really been uh, strongly connected with resilience, not only resilience to worldwide pandemics, which hopefully will not be a recurring factor, um, but also resilience to things like environmental issues, global warming. Those business concerns are not going to go away, as well as we're seeing social concerns. As you know, there's a, there's a strong feeling of social unrest in the United States right now, and those concerns aren't going to go away. So we're really hitting ESNG this year. So it sounds like ESG is really moving really into the mainstream, especially in this, this time period. These concerns are not just concerns about being good for the environment, but concerns about the viability of, of the assets themselves. Absolutely. Um, Gunnar, as you know, ESG is nothing new, and it's been ramping up for quite some time. But I think now in 2020, we're really seeing ESNG, not just as an acronym that people throw around, but something that's really strong in practice as well. Sarah, you, you have a, a really great perspective on the, the financial aspects of this and how institutional capital is to a great extent rewarded by an ESG focus. Do you think that's changed at all in the last six months? I think if anything, it's accelerated. Crises tend to amplify and accelerate existing trends. And I think that's certainly been the case with ESG throughout this period. Indeed, as as uh, Amanda said, things had really reached a tipping point, I think, among institutional investors and ESG um, long before this, especially within the last two to three years. You know, we've seen the UNPRI signatories um, exceed, I think, 2300 and that's $80 trillion in um, assets under management among those signatories who are all committed to incorporating ESG into their investment uh, processes and decision-making. And, um, you know, what we've seen just last year were uh, fund flows. This comes from research from Morningstar, but fund flows four times that of the prior year in 2018 going into sustainability or ESG-focused funds. So that that trend, I think, has just been accelerated by uh, the pandemic 
as investors are recognizing um, the sort of downside risk buffer that ESG can provide. And certainly there's plenty of research to show that um, since the crisis began, uh, both in China from the beginning of the year and then also in Europe and the U.S. from March on, ESG-focused investments um, have actually outperformed the market um, in terms of retaining values. So, I think um, what we're also seeing is technology um, following similar uh, similar lines of, of acceleration and ampli amplification with, with COVID-19, and especially technology focused on uh, sustainability and ESG. Um, so I think all of those points are coming together at this point in time, both investor sentiment, um, you know, the desire to uh, align any type of stimulus. We're seeing that from national governments and regulators, uh, COVID-19 stimulus being tied to um, sustainability and, and climate-focused investment. And we're also seeing technology really being brought to bear um, in terms of how that uh, transformation can be supported. Well, it sounds like you're describing almost a, a, a perfect storm, if you will. Um, all these different forces making ESG really the, the, the imperative. Now, as an investment manager or someone that is looking to attract uh, ESG-focused capital, uh, what do you think the best practices are there? How can groups uh, really position themselves to be leaders in this space? You know, I think where you're really seeing the sort of the rubber meet the road is, is one with all of the reporting frameworks that are out there, um, beginning to see some convergence. So I think investment managers have long recognized the importance of, um, you know, being more transparent about ESG considerations with their their uh, investors or um, asset owners, and doing that potentially through some type of disclosure to uh, an external framework. Um, GRASP is, is obviously a, an industry standard within the real estate sector. And um, increasingly, you're seeing frameworks like um, SASB uh, and GRI starting to collaborate and more and more emphasis on TCFD reporting. Um, and I think you are starting to see a convergence that's looking at um, one, how, if at all, can we further harmonize metrics so that investment managers um, can streamline this process of, of reporting and disclosure, which can be so burdensome, time-consuming, and uh, potentially expensive. So I think that harmonization of metrics is an important trend. Um, but also, I think the focus on materiality, which you're seeing highlighted uh, by SASB in terms of what are the truly financially material metrics um, that need to be reported on, and that's echoed as well in the EU non-financial disclosure uh, directive, but it also emphasizes not only financial materiality, but environmental and, and social materiality as well. Um, and that, as well as increasingly GRESB and its resilience module, are aligning with TCFD. So there's this real move, I think, to try and um, bring those those frameworks together. And I think where um, you know measurable has played a space, and I think it's an important one, is the underlying metrics and data that gets funneled into those frameworks and disclosures. Um, you know, the, the idea is that if you have a centralized platform and a single source of that data, then really as an investment manager, you're you're 
optimally positioned to report to any of those frameworks, and hopefully increasingly um, those become um, more and more harmonized and uh, potentially consolidated for the market. Amanda, you mentioned in your article that that the, 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 the imperative to approach data, data reporting has only increased, that there's a more of a need for transparency than ever before. And doing that uh, without clear data and technology strategy is difficult, if not impossible. But that's only been expanded in difficulty in a time of COVID when uh, you can't touch the asset. You can't actually physically get there. So what are the best approaches to create real-time data uh, transparency in this current environment? So obviously in the age of COVID-19, tenant engagement for real estate companies is more challenging than ever before. Um, but with social distancing, and as you've mentioned, the inability to physically touch assets. Um, so it really in this case, more so than ever, um, automated data is going to be absolutely imperative. The real challenge for real estate companies is that they have to get so many different types of data from their entire portfolio of real estate assets. And these could be hundreds of buildings in different locations in the country where people may not be physically there and they might not be there for a long time. So you really, um, it, it's really imperative to have this data just constantly flowing without needing, without someone needing to physically go to an asset. You're describing, Amanda, uh, something that we've been reaching for even before ESG, which is a level of transparency between the asset all the way up to the ultimate uh, capital provider. That's traditionally been done through quarterly reporting, but it sounds like we may be approaching, thanks to ESG and the kind of impetus to create uh, asset level data that is transparent on a real-time basis, do you see potentially this making the quarterly report obsolete in the future? We've moved from this point where an annual report of your ESG performance is no longer enough. Um, you know, Gresb is probably still the most relevant benchmark, for example, for ESG performance. Now there are just several other frameworks to consider, including CDP and DJSI, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. We've got TCFD coming up on the horizon. Um, a lot of real estate firms are expected to report to several of these frameworks um, and perhaps generate their own corporate sustainability reports. Um, and increasingly, you're seeing investors asking for this information um, randomly throughout the year. Um, so without having all of this data on hand in a central location, just automatically flowing from all of these disparate sources, um, reporting at this level and this frequency is almost impossible. We're hearing a lot of investor interest in moving beyond a static annual type of data dump, right, or, or reporting mechanism. And so not only wanting to see data perhaps more frequently, but wanting to, to see more fresh, right, less stale data that is perhaps more indicative of what's happening at the asset or within the portfolio today rather than, you know, 12 to 24 months ago. Wanting to see that more more frequently, but also in a more granular fashion, and so I think where um, you know the industry has been challenged to some extent in the past is that a lot of the um, single scores, let's say, um, that are produced as a result of these annual reporting schemes can be a, a bit of a black box, you know, certainly have their own weightings, aren't necessi necessarily comparable to one another. And, um, and so especially with 
you know, quite sophisticated investors. And there are many of them when it comes to ESG that have been doing this for decades now. They're wanting to see more granular data that allows them to um, get a better sense of what's going on in the portfolio and perhaps all the way down to the asset level. So I think there are two trends there, more granularity as well as more on-demand reporting. Where are we going in terms of standards for transparency and reporting? Yeah, I think where we're going is definitely for more of that on-demand real-time reporting. And I think what you see the most successful organizations doing is ensuring that they have uh, you know, data management system, a centralized place for that data that is increasingly um, an integrator of many different data sets, uh, whether it's pulling in certifications like LEED and BREAM, um, ratings like Energy, Energy Star or Neighbors or EPCs, um, looking at regulation. You know, increasingly you have buildings that are subject to um, city level and uh, regulation like Local Law 97 in my former town of New York. Um, and keeping abreast of all of that along with, um, you know, utility data, whether the core ESG metrics for real estate, so energy, water, waste, carbon, um, tracking all of that in one place and increasingly doing that along with physical climate risk assessment. Um, so the TCFD would kind of break this out, perhaps organize it nicely into two buckets of transition risk and physical risk. And I think what we see the leading organizations doing is really taking that approach across their portfolio, understanding the operational performance of their assets and how, if at all, uh, their assets are impacting the environment, let's say, in a way that is uh, going to be um, risky from a, from a fines or penalties or regulatory standpoint, but also looking at how the environment is impacting their assets, the ones they own today, the ones they may uh, decide to dispose of in future, and the ones they're considering acquiring, so also in due diligence. Um, to determine, you know, if the risk reward is great enough and if they need to invest in um, projects that will increase the resilience of those assets during their hold period. Um, so all of doing all of that, it's a lot. And having, um, you know, a centralized place in which to um, track all of that so that they can ultimately not only pull in data from multiple sources, but also push it to multiple sources, whatever that may be, whether it's for internal reporting um, reporting to investors that is going to get rolled up into their, um, you know, annual report or reporting to specific ESG focused frameworks like CDP or GRASP. What I, what I like about this is that for a long time, real estate as an industry has felt like it needed to catch up to other financial industries in terms of its data management, its transparency, et cetera. And ESG is almost a, a Trojan horse, if you will, that is coming into organizations and pushing us into a higher level of data than we have had in the past. So I think it's, it's, it's a very hopeful thing. What are some of the mistakes that you see strategically and operationally that different groups might be making when it comes to this kind of reporting? What are the things to avoid? I think getting hung up on any particular framework as the be all end all would be sort of my first answer. You know, it's an extremely dynamic environment. You know, both in terms of the evolution of, of ESG and technology from a real estate organization standpoint, but also in terms of the the demand for 
reporting and disclosure. There are many, many frameworks. I think there will hopefully increasingly be consolidation um, that will move us more toward um, uniformity that, that we've seen certainly um, with financial data in the past from history. And so I think not getting hung up on a particular framework, but ensuring that um, the metrics that really underlie the, the necessary basis of reporting to any of these frameworks are something that are able to be captured as seamlessly um, as, and as, in as automated a fashion as possible uh, so that the, the people who are the professionals um, really have time to focus on what they do best, right? Which is, you know, not data collection, it's strategy, it's project implementation and management, it's innovation. Um, so I think not getting hung up on, you know, what can be a, an incredibly burdensome task of trying to implement an ESG, um, you know, strategy and plan, trying to collect data, trying to report that data to a particular framework, but rather um, automating that process as much as possible, leveraging technology as much as possible to allow the experts to really focus on, um, you know, what they can do best and what technology you know, can't do for them. So I think what I'm hearing is that there is hope for us yet in the real estate industry. Would you say that's true, Sarah? <laughs> I think there is indeed. And I think technology um, is just, it's a wonderful game changer. And, you know, certainly we've seen that happen in uh, the fintech space with financial institutions embracing disruptive technologies pretty early on. I was listening to a conversation earlier today uh, with Cushman Wakefield, and they were talking about, you know, is it better to be a leader or a, or a follower when it comes to adoption of, of uh, new innovative technologies? Um, especially with regard to the real estate sector and, and sustainability. And I think, you know, what they've seen in terms of lessons learned is that a lot of financial institutions embraced disruptive technologies early on, were collecting tons of data, but didn't really know what to do with it. And so, therefore, it, it really wasn't that useful or valuable. And that's changed now they're, they, they're learning and have learned through that perhaps, you know, growth period or painful period, um, how to leverage it and how to utilize it to improve operations, to create, you know, new products, um, and business models. And I think that real estate can learn from that, um, you know, from that past. So we're not an early adapter, you know, after being in this industry for over 20 years, I can attest <laughs> that there are elements of our business that, um, yeah, are, are, can be quite antiquated. And yet I think that is really shifting. And I think you see the acceleration of that shift post COVID-19. Um, but what's wonderful is no, perhaps we didn't ad adopt earlier, but in doing it now, I think folks have a much clearer sense of just how effective, um, technology and data can be to their businesses. And, um, and so hopefully, you know, in following, uh, FinTech, there's some advantage to that as well. Sarah and Amanda, I could probably talk with both of you all day about this subject. This is a very interesting area and one that I think there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of uh, a lot of activity that's going on. So we've unfortunately run out of time. Uh, I would encourage anyone that's listening to this podcast to spend some time with the AFIRE Summit Journal coming out in August and especially Amanda Davis's piece on time to digitize ESG. 
Thank you, Amanda Davis and Sarah Anzinger for joining us on the AFIRE podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Before we close out completely, I want to make sure that we thank uh, AFIRE's underwriters who help support our programming throughout the year, whether virtual or in person. Um, and it's thanks to the generosity of groups like Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners that we're able to provide you with this podcast. Thank you all. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.